question is, are you ready? This is The Drive with Josh Graham. Walking here. On Sports Hub Triad. It is a Tuesday drive where one year ago today, we lost the great Kobe Bryant in a helicopter crash. I've got some thoughts on Kobe that I'll get to in a few minutes, but let's actually stay on last January for a second. That's when the Panthers hired Matt Rule, and almost immediately after that, it became clear he was going to have no shot to win in his first season. This January, however, he's starting to catch some breaks. Let's compare the two. Last January, Matt Rule lost significant contributors to the franchise. Not just leaders, but Hall of Fame caliber players. Luke Keekley, shockingly retired after his 8th or ninth NFL season. Greg Olson, the Panthers mutually parted ways with Greg, even though he said after the fact that he wanted to remain in Charlotte. Carolina got nothing back in return for Greg, and of course got nothing back for Keekley because he retired, and all he left with him was a ton of dead cap hit for Carolina. That was last January. This January, Joe Brady going to be returning to the team for 2021. That hasn't been made official, but I've been texting, I've been calling folks, and the field that they get is Joe's all in on the Senior Bowl. Carolina's down some assistance due to COVID. They lost a few assistants to LSU and DJ Mangus and Jake Peets left. So Joe Brady, he's all in evaluating these prospects, getting set for the next football season. I don't know if he was ruled out by the Texans or if he ruled out Houston, but regardless, Brady returning is such a monumental deal for this football team. You don't have to change your offense. You have somebody who's of head coaching quality going into a second year. That's usually when coaches blossom. It happened with Matt LaFleur, despite the call at the end of the game he made to kick a field goal rather than put the ball in Aaron's hands. Joe Brady is a terrific coach. He's going to be a head coach. I thought it was going to happen this offseason, but that can wait to next offseason. That's the type of decision, him returning. That's the type of break that can be the difference between you being a playoff team and not making the playoffs. That's a big break. Last January, Matt was in an uncomfortable position with Cam Newton. Cam had built all this equity in the community, on the field, took Carolina to a Super Bowl, was 15-1, and an MVP, a former number one pick. It was an uncomfortable spot for Carolina to be in for a coach that had only been there for a few weeks. This year, they have an answer on Teddy Bridgewater. He is not going to be the future of the Panthers. Now you got to figure out what's next, and fortunately, Carolina has some options. You have the number eight pick. Mel Kuyper, he put out his mock draft earlier today. Has Carolina taking Trey Lance out of North Dakota State? There's going to be some options there. It's a good quarterback draft if they want to go at the number eight pick or potentially move up to take Zach Wilson or Justin Fields. Deshaun Watson and Matthew Stafford. They're both available. Stafford officially, Deshaun Watson expected to be, Both those quarterbacks coached by the Panthers' new quarterback coach, Sean Ryan, at one point. Carolina brings in a new general manager from the Seattle Seahawks. The Seahawks, notorious in the league for being in every single transaction, it feels like. Carolina's going to have options to replace Teddy this offseason. They're in a far better place now than they were a year ago a very uncomfortable place with Cam on the roster and uncertain about his health. Then you got the division. The division's opening up right before Carolina's eyes. Drew Brees, this month, played his final football game, I believe, with the Saints. Tom Brady, taking the Buccaneers to the Super Bowl. If he wins in less than two weeks, I think he goes out on top and he retires. Atlanta this month officially rebooted with the new head coach. That head coach might be a North Carolina alum, 
but he's not a defensive coach, so it's going to take some time to rebuild the worst defense in the NFL. Carolina has Brady back, second-year Matt Rule, some more continuity, a good young defense, a good young nucleus, Christian McCaffrey going to play more than he did a year ago. Carolina, I think, is one of the front runners right now to be a playoff team in 2021 that did not make the playoffs last season. So while last January, it became clear really quickly Carolina wasn't going to be a playoff team, Matt Rule wasn't going to win in year one, he is getting breaks this year. On Twitter at SportsUbTried, if you want to chime in, 336-777-1600 is the phone number. Brendan Marks at the bottom of the hour to talk about some of these ACC hoop matchups tonight. North Carolina on the road at Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh fresh off the loss to Steve Forbes and Wake Forest over the weekend. Duke trying to snap a three-game losing streak going up against the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets. The Yellow Jackets haven't beaten Duke in 10 years. That's 13 straight matchups they've lost to the Blue Devils. The last time they've won in Cameron, you got to go back to 2004 when Jarrett Jack was leading the Yellow Jackets to the Final Four. But most people today in sports are talking about Kobe Bryant, where you were when it happened a year ago. I was in the Joel Coliseum when Kobe passed away. The tragic helicopter crash. We all remember where we were when it happened. But the more and more I think about Kobe, Robert, I think of what-ifs. Kobe's career, it'll always be a what-if to me. Not specifically in the type of player he could have been, but where he could have played ball. What if he played for Duke or Carolina? This has been highly speculated. He said to a reporter a few years ago he would have gone to Duke. Then said this to Jimmy Kimmel. Coach K, I, I loved Coach K. Coach K was phenomenal. Um, but I, I, I got to say, you know, the, the, the truth has to come out that I, I love Duke. Um, Dean Smith sent me a letter and actually said that he was going to stop recruiting me because he believed that I was going to go pro. But if I had to make a decision, I, I probably would have wound up going to Carolina just because... Really? Yeah, because because of the competition. So the year before uh, my senior, before I graduated, Vince Carter went to Carolina, and the year before he was the best guard in the country. So I'm looking. I'm saying, yo, I want to play against him every single day because I, I want to get better. I want to measure myself against these guys. You know, I want to measure myself against uh, competing against a Vince Carter, um, you know, a Phelps, uh, Rasheed Wallace every day. Um, that's something that I was really looking forward to doing. Here's a question I have. This goes to the audience. This goes to you, Robert. And I'll maybe even throw it at Brendan Marks when he joins us in a bit. What would have been the most fun option to watch? Watching Kobe join Vince Carter, Anton Jameson, Ed Coda, and Shamond Williams in Chapel Hill? Or joining Trajan Langdon, Jeff Capel, Wojo, and Chris Carrowell in Durham remind you, Duke finished first in the ACC that year, North Carolina third, and sandwiched in between that, some guy named Tim Duncan at Wake Forest. What do you say, Robert? I don't know. That's kind of hard. How do you think his legacy would be affected if he went to somewhere that's kind of villainized like Duke? I don't know. It is a great question, but it kind of fits what Kobe was. The Black Mamba probably would have been born earlier before he had the problems with Shaq, forcing Shaq to be traded and embracing the villain. He probably would have adapted that or developed that a lot sooner. That 97 team was Dean Smith's last team, so he could have been a part of that history if history stayed true. Here's the second what if. What if the Hornets drafted Kobe for themselves? We have that draft night photo, the Hornets drafting Kobe for the Lakers. But what if they decided to keep them? Here was the Hornets roster. Remember, the trade was Vladi Divac coming back to the Hornets in exchange for Kobe, infamously. If Vladi stayed in the in L.A. and Kobe was on the Hornets, you'd have Muggsy Bogues at point, a combination of Dell and Kobe rounding out the backcourt, and then up front, Glenn Rice and Anthony Mason. 
That team with Vladi Divac being their third leading scorer won 54 games in 1997. So it could have changed the course of history for the Charlotte Hornets. And his death now leaves a massive what if. What if Kobe... What if COVID had hit a month and a half earlier? Would he have been taking a helicopter with his daughter to a youth basketball game? Probably not. What if Kobe were around when LeBron held up the trophy for the Lakers this past season? What if Kobe were alive to continue growing the WNBA and maybe Gianna being a part of it? What if Kobe was allowed to continue as a filmmaker? All of those are just now massive questions, a massive void in the sports and entertainment world. Kobe passing away at 41 years old a year ago today. After we chat to Brendan, we got the Bachelor Minute today. Matt James, former Deacon season. Robert, courtesy of Sawyer Dillon, you want to give people a quick tease for what you might expect in the Bachelor Minute in about 30 minutes? Um, yeah, I'm heard she's entertaining men for money. <laughs> it's a really good impression by Sawyer. Thanks to everybody who hung out on Clubhouse last night for our Bachelor show that still remains unnamed. Me and Darren, we're going to bring Sharon with Darren back, and we're going to do that every Tuesday at 7 o'clock, so find that on social media as well. So, giving you extra ways to consume content from us on multiple different platforms. Okay, both Duke and Carolina, as I mentioned, going to be in action tonight. But when it comes to Carolina, I'll tell you why the Heels will have their hands full at Pittsburgh tonight. That's next on The Drive. Turn it up! They came to see us! Let's go! Back to The Drive with Josh Graham on Sports Hub Triad. got the bachelor minute in 15 minutes at around that time we'll get into duke's matchup with georgia tech as well that's going to be a late nine o'clock tip tonight joining us to talk some hoops now as he does every week is the athletics brendan marks and i want to start with kobe bryant since it's the anniversary of his helicopter crash his tragic helicopter crash a year ago today i posed this question to the audience but i'll pose it to you right now kobe he said on one occasion he was going to be a Tar Heel trying to get the record straight, but then after he said that to Jimmy Kimmel, he, he told somebody else that he actually would have attended Duke if he did play college basketball. Duke in 96-97 finished first place in the ACC with Jeff Capel, Wojo, Carowell, and Trajan Langdon. This was Dean Smith's final year in Chapel Hill, 96-97, where you have Vince, you have Jameson, of course you have Coda, and Shimon Williams was on that squad. So I'll put it to you. I think that Carolina team finished third in the ACC that year. Who would you have liked to see, hypothetically, Kobe Bryant play for more? What would have been the more fun uh alternative to him going pro straight out of high school 97 Carolina or 97 Duke yeah well first off Josh uh you know you're only mentioning one of the the former and future uh Duke basketball greats on that team uh, assistant coach Nate James is on that team too yes. so, so let's make sure we're giving Nate his due uh-huh. um but I'm gonna go with UNC uh you know that UNC team you mentioned it was Dean Smith last year that's a Final Four team, and, and they ran into a buzzsaw in Arizona. Um, just, just sort of couldn't really knock down shots against Arizona in the Final Four. I've done a number of pieces looking back at that game, and um, it's sort of scary to imagine the lineup. Like, you know, how, how could you not be interested in seeing, you know, Jamison and Carter and, and Kobe all play together? Like, that would just be so much fun like what what if you're a defensive uh coach trying to stop those three like what do you do like <laughs> there, there's really no good option so uh the, the possibilities there i think are just too intriguing you know that's one of the better unc teams to not win a title and um i find it hard to believe that given how great he was both mentally and and obviously as a player uh it's hard to think that kobe wouldn't have pushed that group over the top follow him on twitter at brendan r marks read his stuff in the athletic covering duke and carolina they're both in action tonight. 
Carolina at Pittsburgh, Duke returning home after a few losses against Georgia Tech. Who do you think has the more difficult matchup tonight? Yeah, I think uh, I think I'm going to go with Duke on this one. Obviously, I think Pitt and Georgia Tech both are potential NCAA tournament teams. Let me just say that I think that um, neither of those is, is what you'd consider an ACC bottom feeder. Like these, both of those teams are capable of beating North Carolina and Duke, but. Just given where Duke is at this point in the season, I think a win against a quality team is so much more important for the Blue Devils. You know, right now, the best win, the quote-unquote best win that Duke has this season is against Notre Dame, and and Notre Dame is barely a top-100 team. There's no quad one wins for Duke right now. Um, That's a glaring hole on, on Duke's tournament resume. So especially given where we are in the schedule, you know, it's late January now, only a little over a month to go in the regular season. Um, Duke needs to start compiling some of these good quality wins. Doing so at home tonight against Georgia Tech would be a great start. And, you know, a, a fourth loss tonight, it would be sort of unthinkable, would drop Duke below 500 for the first time, I think, since 1999. A big issue I've had with Duke is that they just don't have enough games, I feel like, with such a young group to develop the way they normally would. Usually around the 15-game mark, you'll be opening up ACC play. Duke has only played 10 games, tied for the fewest in the ACC with Wake. Meanwhile, North Carolina's played more ACC games than anybody else, so I feel like they're a lot further along with their younger team, and I think they're starting to find their identity as well. But with that in mind, as the rotation becomes more and more defined, Let's fast forward a month from now. What do we? What do you see the rotation being for Roy? How many players? Yeah, you know, right now, um, you know, Roy is is still giving decent minutes to ten different guys, and unfortunately, I think that's really a, a makeup of this roster, and that's just sort of the way it is. Um, there's no one on this team who's averaging really more than twelve points a game. You know, you've got a bunch of guys in that you know, 12 to nine point a game range and um, three of them are bigs. So, you know, when you talk about Armando Baycott, Garrison Brooks and Dayron Sharp, he's, he's not going to not play any of those guys. The other two in that top five scores are Caleb Love and RJ Davis. Forgot about that myself. I, I absolutely love it. Um, and, and then, you know, beyond that, that's without even getting into the, the fact that uh, Leaky Black, who's the team's best defender, uh, Andrew Playtech, who, who, you know, he and Kerwin Walter are the two best shooters on the team. Anthony Harris, who in the couple of games he's been back, looks electric. He's uh, sort of been the missing piece on the perimeter for them. And then, you know, you've got a five-star guy in Walker Kessler way down the bench. So I think ideally Roy would love for this to become more of an eight-man rotation, but there just isn't an alpha dog he can sort of lean on and, and depend upon consistently where it's going to be a situation where he can cut any of those 10 out of the immediate rotation. Before I let you go, so you can read your stuff in The Athletic, you were teasing us a bit. You said you're going back on a Duke Carolina-related project. You hope buildings are full. Anything interesting you found, not giving us the specifics of what you might be writing about, but something interesting you might have learned looking back? Yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, I, I am so used to dealing with Nolan Smith nowadays. You know, he's Duke's director of basketball operations. He's one of the top rising coaches in the country. But it's been a decade now, and I don't think this man gets nearly enough due in terms of how great a player he was. Um, Just if if anyone is curious, the first Duke-UNC game back in 2011, that was the year that Nolan won ACC Player of the Year. The first game, Duke wins by six points, but only because Nolan Smith has 34 so he's he's factoring in for almost half of Duke's points that game. Uh, you know, I, I am so used to seeing Nolan as a coach now and as, uh, as a leader in Durham that you don't think about how much of a good player he was. I just am fawning over some of his numbers going back in the past. But uh, hopefully I'll have a cool project for you guys in the next couple of days. He's on Twitter at Brendan R. Marks. He'll join us next week at about this time. Brendan, uh, I know it's going to be a late night for you. Appreciate you spending the time. Absolutely. Thanks, Josh. I hope everyone is staying safe. There you go. You as well. That's Brendan Marks with us here from The Athletic. While we're talking about ACC hoops, Virginia basketball is playing at a scary level right now. See, Florida State is a really good team. See, before the year started, I had Virginia and Florida State as my two front runners to win the ACC. I thought they were the strongest group. I had Duke slightly ahead of North Carolina, but... I felt those two were the strongest two teams 
And now they're blossoming that way. More experienced, a lot of depth, a lot of talent, of course. Great coaching. Virginia's system kind of is what it is. But what's terrifying is, while the system will shut you down and not allow pretty much any opponent to score more than 60, 65 points in a game, they are not scoring 67, 68, 69 points. They're scoring 80. They've scored at least 80 points in three of their last four games. If they continue to do that, nobody's going to beat them. Nobody in the ACC, that is. If they keep doing that, the only teams I'd put them in the discussion with across the country, I don't think this is a stretch either, is Gonzaga and Baylor. I think UVA would be that type of good. That's how they're playing right now. They're playing like the number one team in the ACC. They're playing like a top 10 team that they are. Number eight in the AP poll this week. Very impressive stuff there. A lot of stuff happening today. We haven't had time to really get to phone calls, so we could take some of those at 336-777-1600. If you have those on Kobe playing for 97 Carolina or 97 Duke on Twitter at Sports Hub Triant if you'd like to chime in that way as well. Fun night last night watching the Hornets, UVA, Syracuse while trying to watch The Bachelor as well. Did Cheyenne get you into watching The Bachelor this season or no? Uh, no, nah, I watched uh, the Raptors-Pacers game last night and fell asleep at like maybe halftime. Oh, that's a fun way to go out. Were you on the couch? Nah, I was uh, I was in bed. Uh, I got some melatonin from Sam's this weekend, so I've been checking out pretty early. Here, you, There you go. Melatonin. I used to be about the melatonin life when I lived in Colorado and had to wake up at quarter after five in the morning. But since then, not so much. All right, so here's what we have to do. Quite a bit we have jam-packed in this next segment. The Bachelor Minute, and last night was a thrilling episode. Thrilling stuff. Uh, A lot to get to with that. And... I'll also tell you why I think the Blue Devils struggles. Three straight losses, first time that's happened in five years. Why that's going to continue tonight against Georgia Tech. So glad to have you here on a Tuesday Drive. That's all coming up next. Providing you with a kind of sports programming that makes some people laugh. (laughs) But most people just wince. You're on The Drive with Josh Graham. So last night was either episode three or episode four of Matt James's season as The Bachelor. The reason I don't really know whether or not it was the third or the fourth is there's still way too many women. We need to move this thing along. He's a former Demon Deacon, so I feel like it's right up our alley to break down what happens in The Bachelor each week and something we call the Bachelor Minute. Matt James is a hometown guy. He's our guy. And Matt has one question for you. Will you accept this rose? Yes! 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 I'll have what she's having. Time now for the Bachelor Minute. Okay. Here was the new wrinkle to the season. Five, ten minutes into the episode, we learned that women were going to be added to the house. Kind of like when Tasia filled in for Claire, when Claire picked out who she was going to marry. Pretty much the first episode. I never met him before, corresponded. Dale, former Carolina Panthers tryout wide receiver, was the pick by Claire. Announced last week that they're splitting up. Shocker. New women being added to the house, Robert. Five of them. And one of them ended up getting a one-on-one date. Her name, Michelle. And they had a zip line date. 
and then went into a hot air balloon. They tried really hard to tr to make it seem like that it was just the two of them in that hot air balloon, but there's no way that Matt James was running that thing. And devious Bachelor producers did a great job of making the women in the house envious of it, giving them binoculars to watch as the date was happening, as they were floating away in a hot air balloon. Really do like Michelle. I think I'm going to push her to the front of the line. She might be the front runner now. New woman in the house, Michelle. Really impressive. But it does lead the question, why add more women to the house? My theory. Matt James told a producer, Chris Harrison, or somebody, listen, my wife isn't in this house. <laughs> Guys, I don't want to pick any of these women, so you better give me some more women to pick between. Because he seemed a little bit too shocked, Robert, that women were being added to the mix. I don't know if that's possible, though, because don't they have to get, like, quarantined to exactly be on this right. show? So this is something that they already had planned, that they were going to add women to this show. That is a good theory you have. I just have my theory, and you can't tell me I'm wrong. Here's where the show gets mean, though. Victoria, she went from being the biggest jerk and drama creator in the house to being well-liked by everybody in the house because she told Sarah how she felt while the others only had the courage to gossip behind her back. Well, she's back to being the biggest jerk again, still talking about Sarah when she's long gone, to the point where Katie, who actually went up to Sarah and consoled her a little bit before she ended up leaving, said to Victoria, she's gone, stop doing the name-calling deal, stop being mean. So what did Victoria say? I could do whatever I want. This is how I express myself. And not only that, in front of all the girls, she sought out Katie to tell her this, wanting an apology. She's like, Katie, you told me to stop calling people names. You owe me an apology. She's like, I'm not going to apologize. And she went hard at Victoria. I think her deal's done. I think Victoria is going to be finished after next week. I think she's run her course, Queen Victoria, this entire deal. Oh, by the way, one of the new women in the house had a crown, Robert, and a legitimate earned crown. Like she was Miss Puerto Rico, I believe. Aren't some of these women like Miss Maryland, Miss... Yes. So she wore her crown, Miss Puerto Rico. What does Queen Victoria do? She takes the damn crown from off her head. If that happened to you or me and I had a crown on and you tried to take it off, we're fighting in the street. This is how it works. She did not fight, but she ended up getting her crown back. Here's where it got more mean, though. Anna, who was one of my picks in the Bachelor draft, she started gossiping a little bit. We don't have show cleared or uh, sound from the show cleared. So rather than me tell you what Anna said or play for you what Anna said on the show... Here's our Sawyer Dylan doing an impression of Anna spreading around some rumors. Um, yeah, I'm heard she's entertaining men for money. <laughs> That's what Anna said about Brittany, who was quite aggressive right out of the gate and trying to earn respect and attention from Matt. Not the the smartest move not the coolest move to just start saying that somebody is an escort she didn't say she was an escort she's just entertaining men for money she went further and then said in front of all the girls while Brittany's sitting there to Brittany you know I heard from some folks in Chicago before I got here to worry about you and that you might be an escort now those, that's what just people were telling me but are you an escort her response um, that's ridiculous to say. I've had a boyfriend literally since I was 16. Then why are you on this show? That led to Sarah Bradford Googling and Instagram stalking whether or not there were pictures of her boyfriend. But regardless, slut shaming is not the coolest thing to do, especially before a nationally televised audience. Anything to add on that one? This show is so goofy. People in Chicago told me to worry about you. Like, before you left, people knew all of the participants that were going to be on this show. This, the, the, like, I don't know. I just can't. 
I just can't. Anytime I watch something like this, I'm like, even we watched a bad Survivor series uh, or Survivor uh, season the other day, and it was just so bad. I was like, I don't want to watch. What this made one. it so bad? You, you could tell they were like, oh, I I know Jeremy was talking junk about me, and then. It, how? He was talking to a camera. It was a one-on-one. There's no way you knew he was talking about you. It Unless just, one of the producers told yeah, it's, them what they said. Stuff like that just ruins it for me, and I I just can't. Uh, this show. See, I like Matt, though. Matt seems very normal. Anna, who hasn't talked to Matt this entire season, finally got some time, and a producer sent Brittany in there to interrupt her time, leading her to tell... Uh, Tell the girls that you want to try and do your impression of Sawyer doing the impression. I heard she was entertaining men for money. That's right. Matt, before Brittany tried to interrupt, asked her, Oh, before you leave, is there anything that you feel like I don't know about you that I need to know? And Anna didn't have any answer. (laughs) So she's mad about time. And when she gets time, she doesn't make the most of that time. And that's been your Bachelor Minute. I feel like being the Bachelor or the Bachelorette is probably the easiest part of the show. Like, you have to show no emotion. You just kind of talk to these random women who are either drunk or enabled by these producers to act in wild and crazy ways. Like, you really don't have to do anything. Matt can just show up, smile, hand out roses, and he's a great Bachelor. You know what I mean? What has he done that separated him from other Bachelors? Well, this is the difference. I'd argue it's more difficult being the bachelor or the bachelorette because one, you have to keep your composure amidst the crazy and the drama. And secondly, and more importantly, you are actually getting engaged to one of these women at the end. Like if you're a contestant like Victoria and your goal is to get Instagram followers or just to be entertaining on television and make a name for yourself. Well, There's really no strings attached to that other than some people not liking you on your IG mentions, right? You don't have to actually get engaged to somebody. Yeah, but what is actually getting engaged? Because like like we saw before Claire and whoever she picked, you can just break up. You can just call off the engagement. Tough break. Yeah, exactly. Like it's not that big of a deal if you're She loses the ring though. That's the big thing. You, You have this incredibly expensive Neil Lane ring that you have to be together, I think, two years <laughs> in order to keep it. They're like, please stay together. I know that we told you guys everything to say on every date, but please stay together and so you can keep this fabulous ring that was given to us. Shifting things. Duke, Georgia Tech tonight. It doesn't strike me that Georgia Tech is the team you want to get right against if you're Duke. Duke is returning home after losing on the road to Pittsburgh and losing to Louisville, the Yellow Jackets, they know exactly who they are. This is a team that's been together a really long time. Jose Alvarado, we were talking to Joel Berry during the pandemic last year, and he said, oh yeah, this Jose guy, he was the one that was most disrespectful to me in the league. Joel Berry hasn't played for the Tar Heels in years. Alvarado, still around. Michael DeVoe, still around. Moses Wright, still around. The Yellow Jackets know where they're going to be, what they're going to run, what to expect out of their teammates. They know what their identity is under Josh Pasner. Duke has only played 10 games together. Actually, not even that, because Jalen Johnson has only played in six of those 10 games after he lost a, a month due to his foot injury. Duke has no idea what its identity is. At the end of games... Is it going to be back to the basket with Matthew Hurt, or is it going to be Jalen Johnson clearing things out and trying to drive it? I got a pretty good feeling it's not going to be outside shooting, but then again, at Notre Dame in December, it was DJ Stewart hitting some important shots. Duke is all out of sorts right now, and the only cure, the only recipe is playing more games. But tonight, kind of like what they ran into with Pittsburgh, you're running into more experienced guys. You ran into Xavier Johnson and Champenny and uh, Adis Tony. You got a trio of experienced players you're going to face tonight. And Georgia Tech is trending upwards. Can't say that about Duke. Duke's lost three straight games for the first time in five years. Georgia Tech, they've won three of their last four. Those wins. North Carolina, big against Wake Forest. Who hasn't gotten blown out by anybody except for Georgia Tech? Big 
against Clemson, winning that game by 18 points. The loss came against uh, UVA, and they only lost that game by two. And considering the way Virginia's playing right now, that's not really a bad loss by any means. Georgia Tech's a good team, and they're coming off a loss. They're going to be ready to go gunning for uh, for Duke's neck. Duke, even though they're a 500 team, the target is still square on their backs. Just because Duke is at 500 does not mean that's still not Coach K, that's still not Cameron Indoor Stadium, and that's still not a program that Georgia Tech hasn't beaten in 10 years. Georgia Tech's lost the last 13 meetings with Duke. 13 in a row dating back to 2010. The last time they won in Cameron, 2004. Robert, what were you doing in 2004? Probably watching Pokemon, eating a PB&J somewhere. Listening to In the Club by 50 Cent and the the new Maroon 5 album with This Love and Sunday Morning? No, nah, probably not that. I didn't start listening to like rap or hip-hop until like 8th or ninth grade, so I was probably listening to like Toby Keith or something like that. I love Toby Keith. I don't know how well his music ages, but I was a big fan of Toby Keith. How do you like me now? Just had to resist doing that. The The target's still on Duke. 2004, Georgia Tech went to the Final Four, national runner-up with Bobby Crimmins and company, Jarrett Jack. That's the last time they won in Cameron. So while I like North Carolina to win close, and I think that's going to be a really good game at 7 o'clock tonight, I think Duke... I think Georgia Tech's going to win. I think it's going to be a really good game. I think Georgia Tech wins in the nightcap tonight in Cameron and snaps that long streak. Okay. However and wherever you're listening, we certainly appreciate that. Many ways for you to do so digitally later on tonight at 7, right as the North Carolina game's tipping off for about 30 minutes. Darren Vaught and I, we will be on Twitter uh, doing Sharon with Darren. We hope you'll be with us to watch that. And... Also, make sure you're subscribed to the Best of Podcasts. Search The Drive with Josh Graham wherever you get your podcast. And the best hour of this show each day will automatically download there. Tomorrow, BDOT, he's going to be in studio with us. Tonight's Tar Heel game will indicate how happy or unhappy BDOT is as the unofficial mascot of Tar Heel basketball. We hope to catch you up with Dickie V later on in the week. Who feels better today than Dick Vitale watching his Tampa Bay Buccaneers, watching his Tampa Bay Rays, and watching his uh, Tampa Bay, I'm forgetting a team, Tampa Bay Lightning win the Stanley Cup? Hopefully watching those Pepto-Bismol checks clear. you got to ask him that. Like, Was that an ad or you just really love Pepto-Bismol? We'll get to that. You are listening to WSJS Winston-Salem, WCOG Greensboro, WPC in Burlington, WMFR High Point. Those signals make up Sports Hub Dryad. One of the greatest basketball players of all time. His private helicopter crashed around the L.A. neighborhood of Calabasas. Five NBA championships, an 18-time All-Star, a 15-time member of the All-NBA team, two-time Olympic gold medalist. One of the greats, man. Like, we all grew up, we all felt like we knew Kobe. Kobe Bryant was 41 years old. You're on The Drive with Josh Graham on Sports Hub Triad. I'm going to take my shot here, try to out-precise the guys. As our resident hoops nerd from accsports.com, Brian Geisiger is with us. Been on the call with Darren Vaught broadcasting high school basketball as well. BG, before we get into some of the stuff in the ACC, I want to start with Kobe Bryant who passed away a year ago. It feels like the right place to start. And a question that we've been asking people in the audience, I asked Robert and Brendan as well. Brendan Marks had joined us an hour ago. If Kobe were to play with the Tar Heels or with the Blue Devils in 96-97, which do you think would produce the most fun results? Is it the team with Vince, Shamond Williams, Anton Jameson, and Shamond Williams that finished third in the ACC that year, or the team that finished first in the ACC with Wake Forest sandwiched in the middle with a guy named Duncan and another named Randolph Childress, uh, Duke with Langdon, Wojo, Carowell, Capel, among others. 
Yeah, I'm not going to answer within this UNC Duke uh, paradigm here. I'm going to go outside the box. I'm going to go with what would have made a very small version of me happy, and I would have had Kobe at Wake Forest playing with Tim Duncan and winning the ACC. That's what go. I would have had. <laughs> I we don't it doesn't we can get off the Duke and UNC uh, two party system. There are other options here. So I'm saying I'm going off the rails here, and I'm saying the Demon Deacons, Kobe Ooh. Bryant playing with Timmy D and Dave Odom. Who boy, that would have been a lot of fun in 96, 97. That was Tim uh, Duncan's senior year with the Deeks. But staying with the Kobe theme here, is there a stat? I know how much you love breaking down the stats and numbers and following the league. Is there a stat that you think distinguishes Kobe from some of the other greats? Yeah, I mean, (laughs) there's, there's a lot of them. And I think a lot of times I like to focus on stats that are a little more quirky or sort of are are a little more um, efficiency driven and aren't just sort of looking at counting stats. But I think part of like Kobe's legacy is that he played for so, so long and he was such a a volumous scorer, you know, that will always be a part of his legacy. Um, So the one, one number that always jumps out for me and it's been in the last couple of years, it's been sort of moved down the, the pecking order a little bit, but it was an outlier at the time, um, which was in 2005, 2006. So that's Kobe's you know second year post Shaq, um, a usage rate of, of almost 39%, which was at the time um, an NBA record. He broke Michael Jordan's record from the 86, 87 season. Subsequently, that's been, um usurped by both russell westbrook and his mvp season close to 42 percent and james harden two seasons ago at 40 and a half percent but like when i was first learning what usage rate was a long time ago this was one of the numbers that always blew my mind that means when kobe was on the court that season 39 percent of la's possessions he either shot the ball turned it over or drew a foul um and look there's all there's a million different categories stats to look at with kobe but like that singular season and he had plenty of seasons like that where he was above you know 30 35 percent usage but that one's just such like a i don't know man like it's a bit of an outlier for its era of basketball on twitter at bguys underscore bird you can shoot him a follow and follow his acc and nba coverage when i look at duke this is the big difference between them and north carolina five games see carolina's played more games than anybody else in the ACC. And I think that's so important when you're trying to develop chemistry, try to find a team gelling together. Duke is tied for the least games in the ACC, and you have to even break that down further when Jalen Johnson missed a full month of the year. Duke, I don't know if there's enough runway here for the Blue Devils to get where they want to go. North Carolina, I think, is on a track that we've seen with other one-and-done teams where they could be a contender in March, maybe not a contender to win the ACC regular season title, but develop it to something that could be a problem in the tournament. I don't know if Duke has enough time to do so. What do you think uh, about the Blue Devils' uh, guardrails of development? Can they get to the finish line? Yeah, I think they can. I mean, this team's still really, really talented. Um, they've hit some tough parts of the schedule here. I think they can. I mean, right now things look awfully wobbly. Like I, I get that. The one thing I think of with this Duke team is just like, you know, UNC as rough as it can look some games with them. We've known from the jump what the identity was and they're going to, they're going to play hard defensively. They're going to give up threes on that end too, but they're going to play hard defensively and they're going to try to pound you on the offensive glass, sharp, Baycott, uh, Brooks, uh, leaky black and you know if one of the freshman guards comes online then you've really got something in it you know last couple last two or three games you know Caleb Love has shown some real flashes and he, he played great um, in the win over over Wake Forest too with Duke I feel like both in terms of the season being broken up because of uh, you know various issues with COVID or or guys getting hurt with specific to Jalen Johnson it's like if there was a – it's not just like, you know, that they missed time. There was an issue with just sort of like finding what I think the identity of this team was going to be this year. I think that I know what they wanted to go with at the start, which was 
play a lot of guys, play, play Matthew Hurt at center, play five out, play 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 all those guys around Matthew Hurt and Jalen Johnson's at the four, and you, you're using him for playmaking, and Wendell Moore Jr. is going to help you playmake, and those guys are going to sort of like supplement a young backcourt uh, with Jeremy Roach and DJ Stewart, and Jordan Goldwire is going to give you some of that too. And I just feel like there's very little continuity with this team in terms of uh, it's half court offense. I'm not bothered by them trying out a zone, uh, although the zone has not been very good for them so far. But I like I get why they did it, and I think it's like a, a decent idea. But it sort of adds to my my belief that they're still sort of looking for an, an identity on both sides of the court. If you want to sort of like get a, a little more you know metaphysical with it. Um, it is a bummer though, that this team is getting such a good season for Matthew Hurt. Like he's playing as well as you could possibly imagine Matthew Hurt to play. And they're still struggling. Like they're getting the best version of Hurt as like a sophomore forward. And I know I've harped on this a couple of times too, but with UNC, as ugly as it can look offensively at times, they get to the free throw line a fair amount. And this Duke team, um, they're 337th nationally in free throw attempt rate. Like, they don't get to the free throw line. There's no easy points. Um, Duke's transition offense has not been very good this year either. But there's just no easy points for them in the half court. Even their main guy, Hurt, who's very good inside 10, 18 feet, you know, 8, 10 feet or whatever, doesn't get to the free throw line. And I do think that is – it's just a little – it's a a stream. It's a revenue stream, uh, you know, of offense that just is not available to them this season right now. Matthew Hurt. Three out of the last four with 20 or more. Robert, I think I heard our good friend Armando Baycott mentioned. (laughs) And I'll pass things along to you as we try, or as I try, to out-precise the guys. Sorry, my stuff is... uh... Brian Geisinger is a basketball genius. Josh Graham uh, is not. I'm smart, you're dumb. I'm big, you're little. I'm right, you're wrong. Listen as Brian launches half-court shots and Josh, well, double dribbles all over himself. And there's nothing you can do about it. Get off the bench and try to out-precise the guys. A little technical difficulties, but we're back. I've got some questions for you to try to out-precise the guys today. Brian, you have been on fire the last couple of weeks we've been doing this. Hopefully you can keep your streak up. Uh, we're gonna Thanks, start a- Robert. <laughs> we got Kobe Thanks. today. So I've got yep. some Kobe-related questions to see if you guys can crack it. Uh, and starting off, when I think about Kobe, I think about scoring. The dude just puts up points. So we're going to start off a little simple here. How many 40-point games did Kobe have in his career? 40-point games. Okay. I'm going to say how many is a lot. I'm going to go 37 40-point games. Josh is in at 37. Uh, what you got, BG? All right. Does the 81-point game count twice, or does that just count uh, Yeah, one, any, any 81, yeah. 61, any of those count. Yeah. Anything over 40 counts. That, that's what I – yeah. He said that, it that, counts that, twice. That, oh, that's, <laughs> sure, yeah. <laughs> that, that's what I thought. Um, you know what? Let's go – let's go – let's find a little round number. Let's say 100 career 40-point <laughs> games for Kobe Bryant. <laughs> All right, what is it? Uh, Kobe had 122 40-point no! games. All right. Okay, so wasn't even close on that one. That is an example <laughs> yeah. of a half-court shot Guy, and me uh, dribbling all over myself. Guys starting off hot, but there's still two questions here, Josh. If you That's get this right. one right, we can go to the third one. We can make this a game. I'm leaking uh, confidence. To make a lot of shots, <laughs> you got to miss a lot of shots, and Kobe uh, definitely did that as he <laughs> is the NBA career leader in only one statistic, and that's missed shots with 14,481. He's Brett Favre. How many more missed shots does he have than the next most active player, LeBron James? Okay, 14,000 what? 481. Oof. So how many more missed shots does he have than the next player on that list that is active, LeBron James? I'm going to go... I'm going to go 277. All right, man. Kobe played for a long time in the NBA, as has LeBron. But um, I'm gonna go. You know what? Let's go. Let's go another another nice big even number here. Let's say one thousand. Okay. All right. LeBron has missed twelve thousand four hundred and sixty-eight shots 
That comes out to 2013. All right. Guys, a little bit closer than Josh oh, there, down by right. 1,013. Oh. But All right. We can, we're out of time. We're we can, out of time. Nah, come on. We got the last one. All right, one. real quickly. We got the last one. Uh, like Kobe the... Bryant's dad was also an NBA player, and he put the bean in Kobe Bean Bryant. How many more points did Kobe average than his dad? Oh, wow. Hmm. <laughs> uh, do you want to know what Kobe averaged or what his dad averaged? I'll give you the uh... – I'm going to go uh, – nah, uh, I don't want to give Brian Geisiger – clues yeah. either <laughs> i'm gonna say kobe averaged 25 points more than his dad okay okay i'm gonna come in a little i'm gonna come in a little underneath that i'm gonna say um 18 points more than his dad 18 all right kobe averaged 25 points flat his entire career his dad averaged more than two points a game his dad <laughs> averaged 8.7 so that there is 16.3 brian 1.7 away that is our precise the guys good for you bg that's yeah, right you good for man. you we'll talk now nah, so, uh, high point basketball by the way i forgot to plug that when's the next time you're going to be on the call uh this weekend they're they're taking on charleston southern so yep they'll be me and darren vaught it's been a lot of fun so far this season we'll keep an eye on that thanks for doing this buddy that's Absolutely. brian geisiger he's on twitter at bguys underscore bird a player who spent his entire NBA career with one team. He will live forever in the heart of Los Angeles. The shocking and terrible news, NBA superstar Kobe Bryant, 41 years of age, was killed in a helicopter crash just outside of Los Angeles. Incredibly sad and it's, it's horrible. I'm just in disbelief. You're on The Drive with Josh Graham on Sports Hub Triad. Before we get into Tom Brady and Super Bowl 55, it only feels right we start with Bob Ryan, the great Bob Ryan of ESPN, who now joins us. With the one-year anniversary of Kobe Bryant's tragic passing, when you think about Kobe Bryant, what's your favorite story covering Kobe? I only have one little anecdote. It's five seconds, literally, uh, that was personal with him. Uh, obviously, I would have interviewed him in groups but I never had an extensive sit-down. I never wrote a, a column that required me to interview him for any lengthy period of time uh, at all. And I didn't know him uh, as a, personally. Uh, so, But um, one of the later years I th uh, that I was covering, so that would have been uh, either the 2010-11 or the 2011-12 season. 2011-12 would have been my last year covering the NBA. Uh, the Lakers were in town. I was waiting outside the locker room, uh, uh, and uh, the door opened, and he saw me, and he just said, Ah, Bob Ryan, the legend. And he walked, kept walking. <laughs> that was kind of funny. <laughs> and that's it. So I'm, that, that's a positive memory that I retain of Kobe. So he's okay in my book. Bob Ryan, legend, with us here on Sports Up Ryan. Let's get to Tom Brady, though. You obviously followed his entire career in Foxborough. Did Tom Brady prove anything to you by taking Tampa to the Super Bowl this year? Yes. Uh, I didn't think he played at this level. I thought that it would be interesting to see what he could do with a better set of weapons than the ones he had in New England, which I think is the primary reason he left. Nothing over and above whatever individual personality or whatever uh, personal clash or, or, or there might have been with Bill Belichick. Uh, and we'll never know the full truth, right, I doubt. Uh, but um, if you look at it uh, just technically, uh, he, he looked around and said, I got a better chance of of, compete, of, of doing something with, with Tampa Bay's weaponry than New England's, and he turned out to be 100% correct. Um, but I did, still didn't think he would play this well. Uh, the guy I, that we had seen the last couple of years uh, was somewhat inconsistent, uh, he bounced a lot of passes, uh, missed, uh, overthrew a lot of pet or underthrew. He, he wasn't quite the same as often as he had been. It was a, a clear sign of deterioration. Still was because of his uh, pre-play reading ability and his and his just the wellspring of the the depth and wealth of knowledge that he had. Uh, and 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 was not going to make the mistakes as other younger quarterbacks would make. You know, he could still be an asset. 
but I did not think he could combine everything the way he has this year. Uh, I never would have dreamed, and particularly, and especially when they were seven and five on the beginning of December, I certainly wasn't projecting them to the Super Bowl. So he's fooled me. He's won over. If you want to call me a doubter, fine. It wasn't a malicious doubt. It was just a, an, a, an intellectually objective doubt. And uh, he, he's proven himself. Uh, he's proven himself to be right. How far would you have to go, though, to risk overstatement and talking about? What kind of an achievement it would be if Tom beat Mahomes in last oh, it'll, 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 if people are having a hard time containing their their enthusiasm and, 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 and comparisons right now, if he ever wins this game against a favored team, um, he's just adding another fuel to the fire, if you will. He's adding, he's adding another log to the fire. Uh, he's going to separate himself even more in this goat achievement thing. Now there are always two sides to this discussion one is the lifetime achievement and the other is i gotta play tonight who do i want if i could have the pick of any quarterback who ever lived at his primary at his peak and and they all have the equal number of weapons but i only get to pick one who do i want i'm not so sure that the experts would say tom brady uh necessarily but uh and i know i wouldn't but his achievements for the career, I mean, just, you know, he's putting it, he's leaving everybody in the dust. How did you vote for the Baseball Hall of Fame? I voted for Kurt Schilling, Omar Vizquel, and Todd Helton. I do not vote for the, the Tainted Boys. Uh, I agonized over a few others. Uh, and then, uh, and I've always voted for Schilling and, and, and his reprehensible comments after the insurrection in Washington on the 6th of January. You know, just nothing new, you know. Uh, uh, I, but it just does really make you pause. Yeah. And, uh, and more than ever. Uh, then, Viscal, after I voted for him, the story broke about the domestic violence allegation. I stress the word. And it certainly troubled me. If true, it's very disturbing. He, of course, is denying it. I don't know. You don't know. We don't know. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll find out hopefully someday. Meanwhile, I, I know that there were, they documented three people who called up or contacted Jack McConnell of the hall, uh, the secretary who counts the ballots, said they wanted to rescind their vote for Fiscal, and he, they were denied. They said, you can't do that. Uh, here's my feeling, Josh, and I, I wrote, I said, uh, I really, I voted for him. And then I, after the revelation, I started getting queasy, and I said, I just hope he doesn't win, and then I won't, I won't have to worry about it. <laughs> um, and I feel that way about Schilling now, even after voting for him, every year he's been on the ballot. So at 6 o'clock Eastern tonight, we're going to find out, and I'm hoping that neither one of them gets in. I'll sleep better. Uh, I have defended Schilling's right to be in the Hall of Fame on the basis of his best baseball achievements uh, in the face of all his other activities. And uh, But defending the what happened on the sixth is another matter, and and uh, I'm, I'm 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 just you know it's so frustrating. You know, Josh, when you when you factor that in to the PED problem, the fun that it used to be, and it's still an honor, but the fun involved in in, in uh, going over the the uh, records and making up your mind uh, has been taken away uh, a lot, and I'm I'm not having fun voting anymore, and and uh, I. I it's really, it's really annoying. To close this thing out, we started in a place, you talking about Kobe's legacy a year after he passed away tragically. Last week we lost, arguably, baseball Mount Rushmore, Hank Aaron. And yep. I, I just wonder, where does he rank among the guys you were lucky enough to watch? Oh, very, very high. I, I of course, was an American League guy. And, and, but I, did, I didn't know this, Josh. It's so funny. Um, until someone tweeted it and quoted me, and I didn't know that I had seen his only home run in Fenway. It was uh, that I was covering the game that day because I, it was a period of time before I became a full-time baseball writer in '77 for the one year I did it, and before I became a full-time columnist in '89. Uh, uh, and it was in between stints of no, I was still covering the NBA in '75. The Celtics, my first of three times covering the NBA, and. Uh, they quoted me uh, about the home run that he hit in Fenway off of Bill Lee. That if the ball had that went over the wall had hit the wall, it would have gone through the wall. And uh, I said, "Oh wow, I don't remember 
that I had done that, or that I had seen that or covered that game. So um, didn't know him, admired him, you know, knew the, the aura of Hank Aaron. And now I was a Mays guy. See, I, that was my, my all-time favorite player was Willie Mays. So naturally there's an inherent competition for, for uh, you know, between those two and among fans. And I always wanted to favor Mays while giving a little more grudging admiration to Aaron at that time. Bob, shoot him a follow on Twitter at GlobeBobRyan. Listen to his podcast as well, podcast plural. It's always good to have you on in the triad, and I hope we get to have people at the NSMA later on this year. Well, I'm looking for, I've certainly missed uh, doing it, and I certainly want to get back, and hopefully we'll, we'll see each other face-to-face sooner rather than later. This is The Drive with Josh Graham Podcast. Tune into The Drive weekday afternoons, 3 to 7 on Sports Hub Triad.